ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hard to Paint with David Grubb. It's Wednesday, so that means the Dome Patrol is back in effect. So I welcome to the show, as we do each and every Wednesday, my brother, Ross Jackson. Ross, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. Doing good. Glad to be here with you, as always. Brother, hope you're doing well, too. Now, you got, you know. <laughs> I gave you an assignment, and you said you were going to take care of it on Friday. Did you watch the, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? I have not watched it yet. I'm what are so you sorry. Doing? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I haven't. I haven't watched it yet. You but I'm gonna watch it this week. We aside. did. We we set it. We set time aside, and then we didn't follow through. It's my bad. It's my fault. It's my fault. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm excited to watch it though. We are Black gonna History watch Month it this week. Over. I know. I gotta watch it when Black History Month's over. <laughs> so I'm like, I have to watch it this week. I ain't got no more choices. Like, there is no more time for this. There's only we only get 28, 29 damn days. So I gotta get it in. I gotta get it done. I gotta get it done. And cold days, Black is ticking. And ice storm days, and all this right. stuff that's going on. That's what we got for Black History Month this year. The <laughs> got that. The ashiest <laughs> Black History Month in our <laughs> I went through so much damn lotion in Black History Month. <laughs> There's a cocoa butter shortage. That's right. Uh, that's your mother, right. back in the day, remember your mother used to spit on your hand when you had, a, <laughs> had the ash. Wipe just your face to, with a spit. She'd do that, do, do that shit just to show it to me. Not right. to help me, but just to prove the point. Like, look. <laughs> my mother used to scratch my arm. Yes. With her yes. To see, like, see, you ain't dry. I mean, yeah. you're dry. You're just yeah. dry. You're like, why are you doing this to be a public? Like, why are you scratching me? Like, yes. damn. <laughs> Wiping your spit on me. Like, you, that, like, that's, I want that. I don't want that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Like, you no. shouldn't want that. Right. If you, did, you wouldn't do that to yourself. <laughs> so why are you doing this to me, mom? <laughs> better, you better watch because if, if we talk next week and you haven't watched it i'm coming to your home i if i have to walk from louisiana to california i'm gonna come to your house and i'm gonna make you watch it like like um <laughs> clockwork orange i'm a whole guy and you're gonna oh no i i kind of rather that than you like rubbing spit on my hand you know no no, 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 no we will never we've, be that we've established we've established that that is that that is uh yes, that's that, there's thing. no need for that in society any no, longer we are no. done with those days if if but, you were you know. dying and they said grub you got to put spit on ross's face no, I'd know. do it then. I might do it then. I might Would do you? It. I might ask you not to. I, I don't know. I, like, it depends on like. How do you want to like, go out, dog? Right. How do you want to go out? Do you <laughs> like, want to go out with my, with my thumb right. rubbing like, spit on your cheek? Like, is, what if it doesn't work and then you just spit on me and, and then, then I die. and then I yeah, die? Like, yeah. that's not that's not that's a risk not we should either. be willing to take. And then it depends. Like, am I 80? Like, then don't worry about it. Like, it's fine. You know, yeah. like, I don't need all that. There are certain I wanna be, scenarios, and this is kind yeah. of morbid, but they're always, you know, you have these conversations with your spouse or your significant right. or whatever. And you say, if this happens, just let me go. Yeah, I'm like, good. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm I did enough. I right. did enough. 
like require like <laughs> contingent upon me reading meeting this this list of prerequisites mm-hmm. i'm cool i'm cool i'm cool like when yeah. the ambulance comes just be like he's all right yeah <laughs> y'all can go on your way <laughs> y'all can hang around to take him wherever you gotta take him right because i don't but want him to stay here like this is this minutes. is uncomfortable he's gonna but... be he says that's what he needs is five minutes <laughs> you want one of the movie deaths you know you want to go out right. and have something profound to say yeah, and then, I gotta, I gotta prep that. I gotta prep the final words. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, I gotta close, figure that out. Come close. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Grub, thank you for not spitting on my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> so, um, I think people tune in to tell you how let's talk about the Saints. So we should talk. Yeah, about sure. The yeah, sure. Um, first things first is we're still waiting on the drew Brees retirement announcement and the only thing that we've gotten from drew Brees over the last couple of weeks <laughs> are his pitches which mm-hmm. again he hasn't posted anything on social media in months right other than the Taysom hill christmas photo that right. has not been a direct pitch from one right. of the companies that sponsors him so he's not giving you any indication of, of his life anymore. I think he, after last summer, and he, got, he was like, okay, I'm just shutting up. Yeah. But we go through this, and then you have the Tiger Woods incident. Right. Where Tiger's on his way to go see Justin Herbert and Drew Brees in San Diego. And Tiger gets into, I mean, in LA, and Tiger gets into this accident that mm-hmm. almost costs him his life. Right. And certainly almost cost him his, may have cost him his career. Um, right. It's like these, but these are the two things that we have from Drew Brees, and we have nothing on this retirement. Yeah, no, we we haven't heard anything yet. Uh, I thought, and and it could still be, but I I was kind of pointing to this week as being the week, especially mm-hmm. when I saw he had returned from Hawaii. His family had just gotten back from Hawaii this weekend or at the end of last week. And last year, that was the timeline, right? It was February 18th. He had come back from Hawaii. He, they had made it home. And then he posted a picture from Hawaii saying, I'm coming back. Um, I thought that this was going to be the way. And it still could be. It still could be. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, but yeah, it, it is It is surprising to not have seen anything at this time. And he has to know. Like, he has to know that everybody's waiting with bated breath. And every time he posts, you know, his his you know copper sleeves and like all these other things that like people are gonna people are gonna be waiting on and it's gotten so um i'll say pervasive in terms of like everybody very much like waiting on the edge of the seat about what drew Brees is gonna say that people are starting to mistake other things there was a guy that that tweeted at some of us and shared a video that drew did for cameo for his birthday so somebody had booked drew to drew to do like a happy birthday message and there were some moments in there where he said, you know, hopefully we'll get you another one, right? Like another Super Bowl and all these other things. And so, like, now folks are starting to latch on to people's birthday messages to try to use it as a means of whether or not Drew Brees is going to retire. And it's like, just let that man have his birthday. Damn. Like, just let him do a nice thing. And so it, it is, it is very interesting. That's what you say to a fan anyway. Like, right. Yeah, you'd you love to see another Super Bowl. Thank you, fan. Okay, great. Right. Yeah, it's real simple. But, you know, and I think Drew Brees is going to... 
he'll be, you know, 10 years retired from the NFL whenever he retires. And, you know, 10 years later, he'll still be referring to the New Orleans Saints as we. Yes. You know, like that's the Ryan Clark hasn't been at LSU for how long? And he still calls it we because you're forever a part of that family. You're forever a part of that. Uh, we used to call it a fraternity, but thankfully it's expanding in terms of coaching staff and executive yes. positions, things like that. And so, you know, that family has has is, is going to be forever. And so I think that that's really more so what the we was. Uh, and it's not like he's going to all of a sudden stop saying we four weeks after, <laughs> you know, playing football, you know. So that's, that's, that's a habit to break, too. Yeah, it's going right. to take a while before. And, and we've seen this out of athletes all the time, that transition of mentally mm-hmm. of saying because I think that the conflict for Drew Brees is going to always be, I know what my brain can do. I can right. read a defense as good as anybody. I can get, I know where to throw the ball. Right. And, but the problem is his body is like, nah, B, we mm-hmm. can't do that. We're not, we're not 35 anymore, let alone 25. And yeah. I think that that's, that's the thing is just I, for any athlete, the realization that, man, I can perform really great a couple times a year. Like maybe mm-hmm. four or five games, I can be awesome, but I can't sustain it for 16 to 18 to 20 games anymore. And and that's just the, the nature of the beast. You, yeah. you don't forget what he knows, but so yeah. he can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, a part of it that you have to take into consideration as an athlete is longevity. Right. Can I can I sustain this level of performance? And and you're right. Like, it's a really interesting point that there's the mental side of it, which he's going to be able to do for years and years and years beyond this time and beyond his prime. But what is he going to be able to match up and do physically and how quickly do those two things correlate for him, too? I mean, he seems pretty self-aware. Uh, in in those circumstances, and you know, obviously, like his wife has cataloged all the things that he went through this season. So, like, I'm sure she's reminded him, like, fam, like you remember what you went through, like all these other things. And so, it, it is it is very interesting to see. Um, and let me say her name, Brittany. Sorry, I don't mean to just call her his, his wife. wife, but Brittany uh, doing all that. And so, I do think that there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different elements that have to go into it beyond just. You know, what we're looking at from the fan perspective or from the outside perspective, watching and saying, yeah, it seems like it's time. You know, it, that doesn't necessarily translate the same way as somebody that's actually in the game. Yep. Um, another thing we talked about last week that came to pass is the Carson Wentz trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes to Indianapolis. And we said, and, and you in particular talked about how that was would be a great development for the Saints should Carson Wentz end up in Indianapolis just refresh again on why that's the case and what that means for that quarterback room in in New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, I I think that for the saints, assuming that Drew Brees does retire and maybe even if Drew Brees doesn't retire, like their interest in retaining Jameis Winston is going to be strong. And Indianapolis to me presented probably the best scenario or the best challenger for Jameis Winston in free agency. So with, Indianapolis having filled their need at quarterback with Carson Wentz and taking them off the taking them off the market, it helps the Saints tremendously. I thought that they were going to be a good competitor because they have a great coaching staff. They have a really smart front office. Does a great job building around uh, players, building and, and and continuing to big build talent. They have nice young talent there and Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor, a really good running game. They have a young and really really good defense over there as well. So it just get and a, and a developing offensive line or a, a rebuilding 
offensive line, but one that has a lot of pieces in place that is maybe one free agency and one draft away from being back to being one of the NFL's best. And so I thought that they presented probably the biggest challenge for the Saints in terms of competition for uh, Jameis Winston because they provide some of the things that the Saints can provide and more money. Uh, whereas now with them off the market, it helps the Saints a bunch. They got a little bit more help too with this news breaking that big uh, that Ben Roethlisberger is expected to probably go back to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh would be another one that offers a ton of different advantages, and you know they have to get out from some under salary cap situations themselves as well. But in the situation that would necessitate them needing Jameis Winston, they would inherently have freed up salary cap space in that in that instance. So that would be another one that is still a competitor out there. But outside of Pittsburgh, who looks like they're good because it looks like there's mutual interest in Big Ben returning there. New England and Chicago are pretty much your biggest competition. And I think the Saints can I think the Saints can compete there. Oh, absolutely. And maybe Washington. Maybe Washington. Yeah. But again, in all of those circumstances, you look at what's available, particularly for the quarterback. Right. If you're looking at Washington, you don't have the skill players that you need to, mm-hmm. to really support a Jameis Winston. You yeah. look at New England again, we know. That, that they struggled with having enough talent on that offensive side of the football this year. Right. The offensive line fell apart, um, which had been their strength for years. And then defensively, you don't know really know where they are because they had so many guys sit out last season. Mm-hmm. Who knows what they have coming back? With the Bears, it just doesn't seem like it's a good fit. It just, it mm-hmm. just, it, it doesn't feel like it's the kind of place where Jameis would want to go to build his career back up. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you even even just looking at Washington, like there there are some players that are there, but it's really Terry McLaurin. Like that's that's your guy. Right. And then outside of that, you have to look at the culture of that franchise. Culture meant so much to Jameis here in New Orleans that I don't see him. I mean, even just a couple of days ago, news coming out that Alex Smith was even talking about how like they didn't want him there. Like his recovery was an inconvenience to the Washington football team and everything. And so like even down to your you know starting quarterback, comeback player of the year, there's culture issues and, and, and culture challenges. I don't see it would be it wouldn't it's not out of the question. Don't get me wrong, but I, I couldn't necessarily see Jameis saying, yeah, that's the place I want to go. It seems like too loose of an environment. Yeah. In a number of ways. And and, yeah. and that's not what he's looking for at this point. He's looking for and, and I don't know if, if you'd even look at Washington's coordinator, offense coordinator, and say, yeah, that's that's somebody's gonna utilize him the right way. Right. Um so yeah, if I'm him, he knows they all know that his best situation is in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But he still has the leverage. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's in the driver's seat for sure. I just think that the Saints provide now the app the absolute best case scenario for him. Because no other team has Michael Thomas. None of these other teams have an Alvin Kamara. None of these other teams have a young defense that hopefully they're going to be able to retain big pieces for. I wouldn't be surprised if Jameis is more like the third or fourth player that the Saints re-sign after Drew Brees makes his announcement. You know what I mean? Because it would be like what I could see happening is the Saints clearing cap space. Drew Brees retires. The Saints clear some cap space or at least makes the announcement that he's retiring. They probably won't process his retirement until after June 1st. Right. And then they'll, you know, clear cap space and everything and then work on in-house guys. I was talking to Amy just on Tuesday's episode of Locked on Saints yesterday's episode. And we were talking about how like Zach Wood was the first guy to get a contract last year, the long snapper. 
you could see that happening with a Justin Hardy, JT Gray, James Hurst. Just the like, easy be, ones out of the out of the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, the ones that are very much uncomplicated and that you need you need those guys to maintain success, right? Because they help in that third phase of the game, and they're also great depth pieces for you in their respective positions. Michael Burton's a starter for you. James Hurst is somebody that's huge for them, especially with Nick Easton being on his way out, though he could potentially return too. So I could see you know some of those lighter signings happening first and then maybe a marcus williams or a trey hendrickson or a sheldon rankins like right one of those big defensive pieces and then Jameis winston happening not that Jameis wouldn't be priority number one there but i do think that Jameis needs to see something happen on the defensive side that's going to keep them bolstered and over see what the, the money is going what the situation will look like because if the saints are going to you know we're talking about marshawn Lattimore, uh, toronto armstead and ryan ramchick as being up for extensions Right, And then we're talking, so the Saints are going to have, I, I would imagine the Saints go to all three of those because they are free agents after next season mm-hmm. and talk about restructuring their deals and extending those deals mm-hmm. with avoidable years on the back end. But the, each one of those is going to be around 18 to $20 million annually on average by the time that they get on the market. So it's in the Saints' best interest, A, to extend them now before they get to that point, yep. and B, to free up that space because you will need $20 million to get Jameis Winston on however long you want to get him because that's just the going rate for starting quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that the extensions for Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchick in particular, and then however they decide to go with with Teron Armstead, whether it be extension or restructure, because he has those two ghost years on the back end of his deal Mm -hmm. in 31 and 32, age 31 and 32. So they could restructure and push that money back and then extend him next year into those years, or they could do it all this year. But I think that all three of those for me, I file under the cap saving moves because yes, they are extensions. Yes, you are technically signing players for a longer period of time, but it also saves you money right now to extend those players, right? I've heard a lot of people talk about like, oh, the Saints absolutely have to move on from Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchick because they can't afford to extend them. Quite the opposite. Like they have to extend them in order to be able to afford anything else, you know, if they want to keep them on the team. Can they move on from them? Yes. And there's a the reality in which. ridiculous for both yeah. of those. Yeah. Because you're looking at a combined about $21 million between the two of them just because it's a fifth year option. And so it gets bolstered with those, with the, with that number. And so you look at, um, the fact that like there is a reality and I don't want to ignore it. There's a reality in which one or two or, you know, in which either one of those guys could get traded. I think more so with Marshawn than with Ryan Ramchick because Ryan Ramchick is probably your best player on the team. And you look at, but you look at Marshawn as somebody that if he doesn't want to extend early, he wants to play on his fifth year option because he wants to be able to put another good year out there on tape so he can get a bigger contract the year after that. It's going to be tough for the saints to agree to, play him on an $11 million, $10 million deal. And so that could lead to a trade. But I think at the same time, if you're an agent, if you're a player, particularly in this off season, you don't really want to take that many chances because what are you signing to play for elsewhere out here, you know, this season, right? Like, can you really afford to do that at all? And so I think that it makes sense to extend now. And especially with the way that the Saints back up their contracts anyway and then the expectation that the salary cap raises over the next few years like there's a reality in which that salary cap actually backs up but ends up staying the same because they can afford to do it and that's the going rate for corners at that point like we don't know what that future is going to look like and and Lattimore is is so important for the Saints because you don't have a lot of youth Mm -hmm. at your starting corner position I mean Norris Jenkins going on 
30, what, 32? 32, I think, yeah. So, I mean, you can't make him your number one corner. You just, right. and there, there isn't one in this draft that you could plug in where the Saints are picking um, mm-hmm. and hope that you strike gold with the, with the starting corner there. I just, so to me, Lattimore is vital. Ramchek is vital. Armstead, to me, is the one, like you said, is the most difficult because mm-hmm. of his history. And just, uh, he's, he also has tremendous value still, though. Yeah. And I yeah. think that he would be if there if one of those three were not coming back, I would say um, Armstead would be the most likely because the Saints have shown with older linemen that they're ready to, that they've been able to move on from them um, earlier than than maybe some have expected in the past. Yeah, yeah, no, they've they've done a really good job, and I think that goes to a couple of different skill positions too. They've done a pretty good job at moving on a year early as opposed to a year late, and. You know, that whole cliche, and they do a good job with it. Uh, yeah, I think that if any of those three, like in, in a scenario in which we have to choose one of those three to be least likely to be around, I think maybe Teron Armstead is the one. But I, I think all three of them uh, are certainly attainable because, again, extending and restructuring all three of them saves you money in those in each of their individual um, each of their individual ways. And so I, I think that that's going to be a big, important part of this offseason. Um, not only for creating cap space, but because it, it does create some longevity for whoever that next starting quarterback is going to be to be able to look at some security rather to be able to look and say, okay, I have longevity at the people that are protecting me. And I have longevity for the people that are going to be like getting the ball back in my hand over on the defensive side. You know what I mean? And even if the Saints draft a quarterback, then mm-hmm. you want to have a strong offensive line in front of your young quarterback as well. You cannot uh, take the risk of ruining them early on yeah. just by letting them take hits. Yeah, potentially um, even more so with a young guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, out of the the major free agents, uh, Jameis, Marcus Williams, Trey Hendrickson, Sheldon Rankins, how would you rank them from most likely to least likely to return? Um, out of the major ones, I would say probably Jameis being most likely to return. I think Marcus Williams would come second for me because I think that the Saints would be very intent on getting him back. He's such a vital part for what the Saints do on the defensive side. Um, and then after that, I would probably, the next two names that come to mind are Trey Hendrickson and Sheldon Rankins. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like probably, I want to believe in the NFL, but I can't. So I'm going to say Sheldon Rankins being second to least and then Trey Hendrickson being the least. And when I say I want to believe in the NFL, it's that I want to believe in the NFL to not make rash decisions based on a single year of production. But that's exactly what the NFL does. That's what they do. Uh, <laughs> so I think that because of that, Trey Hendrickson feels like the player that would maybe get priced out faster than Sheldon Rankins, who has injury, you know, who's dealt with injuries and things like that. Sheldon was on Sirius XM yesterday, I believe it was, and he was talking a bit about how on Tuesday, and he was talking a bit about how like you know if you put on the 2018 tape, that's what you're getting. Uh, for me but you're also two years removed from that production and you've dealt with injuries every year and so it's yes you can get that guy back and any guy that any team that does get that guy back is that's great but it's going to come at a bargain because yes teams are going to be interested in seeing if you can rekindle that but the risk is so great (sighs) i just don't see that yeah folks aren't going to pay him starter money yeah, that's the you thing. You can't offer him starter money because he's not going to play every down for you. Right. That that's the big part of it is that he he may be able to provide that that level of production, but he's not going to get paid to provide that level of production right away. 
it'll be more of a prove it type structure, low guarantee type deal, things like that. And it may even be, you know, a cheap one year deal. We don't know like where he goes, what he gets and things like that. But I do think that the Saints will work hard to keep him in New Orleans. Uh, and I think you'll probably get the most amount. He might get the highest amount of guarantees or the highest amount of, of funds from the New Orleans Saints who are going to be interested in keeping him for continuity purposes. In depth purposes, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Hendrickson, to me, I, I, I think they, they're, there's a team desperate for pass rush that will overpay. And we see it every year that, yeah. that just looking for anything that, that will help their pass rush. But again, when you look at tape, you have to see how many of these things are self-generated pressures and how many of these things come in context of what the rest of the D line is doing. And that's not to say that Trey Hendrickson didn't have some great individual performances. Sure. Yeah. But when you benefit from playing on one of the deepest defensive lines in the league and you play on the top on a top five defense, man, there you have to you have to take everything with a grain of salt and just say, is this normal production or is this yeah, the 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 uh surge that comes just for, for certain players over the course of their career where you never look where he may never get double digits ever again. Right. Like that's the risk, right? Like that's that's definitely the risk about with all of this is are you going to be able to actually replicate this or is it going to be a Vic Beasley situation? You know what I mean? Which, you know, is a situation that Tennessee who is in need of pass rushes this off season just went through. So are they going to be maybe a little bit more cautious, but then it should be of no surprise to anybody that the teams with the fewest amount of sacks last season have the greatest amount of cap space this season. Right. And so that, that, that combination of things doesn't always work into the benefit of that team, right? Because they have the fewest amount of sacks and they're like, oh, we have all this money. Let's just outbid whoever to get this guy in. And then potentially you don't get the production that you that you got last season. Yeah, you have to look at and see what those teammates look like. Why do we keep getting Mike Thomas's name in, in, in trade rumors or as a guy likely to be traded? Why does this keep happening when we have explained over and over again that the money ain't going, the money ain't right, the situation right. ain't right, the interest isn't there by the Saints. They ain't moving Mike Thomas. I think that, like, I, I love Saints fans. I really, really do. But because Saints fans are so reactionary to news that it's easy to just throw a Saints player's name. Like, there are shots being taken at the Saints this offseason that have nothing to do with the New Orleans Saints. And it's just the strangest thing. Like, all of a sudden, you've got folks saying things like, um, you know, Coach Payton hasn't ever had to coach without a quarterback like Drew Brees, despite the fact that he's eight and one without him. And they're saying this on national television, despite the fact that he's literally eight and one without him over the last two seasons with guys like Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. And so now calling into question the legitimacy of Sean Payton and what what Sean Payton can do. Right. And so it's it's easy to get certain fan bases riled up and engagement from certain fan bases and no fan base engages like the new Orleans saints fan base. And I think that that's a huge part of it, right? Like you can cut any article very quickly about whether or not, you know, Michael, uh, Michael Thomas is going to get traded and you can write whatever you want in the body of the email, as long as the head or the body of the email, the body of the article, as long as the headline says Michael Thomas could potentially be traded in 2021, which isn't incorrect. Any player could potentially be traded in 2021. Right. And so it's, it's, but you're it's going to get likely. response. No, yeah, it's not it's, likely and it's at all. Presented as likely. And that's the thing right. is when they say the players who are most likely to get traded from these teams and he's the first one that pops up and I, I, 
like it's it there's no way even if you were sitting in the Saints offices right now and they had a ranking of every one of their players by value that you go talk about that they're talking about trading Michael Thomas right now it just there's nothing about it that would help the team there's not a player that you're going to give up and get in return who's going to have the impact that he has for you it, yeah. it, it there's just you'd have to be making one of the greatest deals in the history of the NFL yeah it would have to be you know, it would have to be beyond anything that we've really seen in order for that to really come up. Because you're not going to draft a replacement for Michael Thomas right away. You're not going to, because even the guys that are at the top of this draft outside of maybe Jamar Chase have the ability to do what Michael Thomas does. Jamar Chase is probably the only one, and it's only because, of, and it's it's really just looking at his build, right? And then opposite that, you're talking about guys like maybe like, Josh Bebe out of Illinois because he's six foot three, two twenty five. That he has the build for it, but the, you know he's a second, third. He's a second day guy, and so you know what are you doing in terms of replacing him versus just drafting that guy anyway uh, and, and creating a need for yourself? The Saints don't like to go into the draft with needs. They they don't like to go into free agency creating problems for themselves. Mm-hmm. They they want to fix issues, and so and their number one priority every offseason, And I know we always harp on this, but it's because it's true. They're number one priority every offseason is retaining their player personnel that's what they've and that's what successful teams do Mm -hmm. right they either like you said they they get out of players that are no longer they view as productive down the road that Mm -hmm. that year early and free agency is usually fool's gold for most teams we've seen it for decade after decade since free agency started you do not typically find impact players who change your organization in free agency everybody thinks they're going to hit on the next reggie white and have the dude right. who turns your team completely around, and there just aren't those players out there. We could talk about Tom Brady, but again, you're talking about the exception and not the rule. The right. rule has typically been you sign free agent players at these big contracts, and they don't ever become what you're trying to have them be. Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons why we remember Drew Brees and Demario Davis so fondly is because of how important they were as free agents. You can you can bring in effective free agents, but bringing guys that change your organization or just change one side of the ball even, that doesn't often happen in free agency. And no That's one usually thought that, that was Drew. Nobody thought that when they when they signed him. Nobody thought that. Same thing for Demario Davis. I mean, people there were some people that like knew and they were excited about Demario Davis being around, but didn't expect him to do what he has done in New Orleans in terms of turning around an entire defense the way that he has helped to do, uh, along with other players and, and other folks that contributed there. But he's such a huge part of it. Uh, most of the time, when you talk about people that change the fabric of your organization, you're generally talking about homegrown talent. You're talking about guys that have dra- that you've drafted. I mean, the Saints 2017 draft. That's what that 2017 draft did. Like it changed the fabric of the New Orleans Saints. And the reason they fell off was because they went three and four years with failures in the draft. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that that's that's one of those one of the the key things to look at is that the Saints are not going to create problems for themselves where they don't have to. And a Michael Thomas that wants out is very different than a Michael Thomas who experts think could be traded at some point. Like that's a very different situation. And there's nothing pointing to the idea that Michael Thomas wants out. Otherwise, if he wanted out, he wouldn't have played on an injury that he needed surgically repaired this or that he needs to get surgically repaired this offseason. I don't know if the surgery has happened yet, but he wouldn't have played on that this nope. year. Nope. You know what I mean? And he pulled himself out for the last three games, but he did it so that he could be available for them for the playoffs. Like that's not what a player who wants out does. Nope. Not at all. 
uh, why is there still smoke, you know, about Mac Jones? If they keep saying there's going to be five quarterbacks taken in the first round, I don't think that there are five quarterbacks worthy of the first round. And I had Chrissy Freud on um, Monday, mm-hmm. and she talked about quarterbacks a lot and, and, and just gave me some interesting perspective. But I just, again, people keep trying to tie Mac Jones into the Saints, and I don't see if James that, – that them drafting a quarterback seems as something that's likely – Mm-hmm. because you need a young quarterback but I just again I don't see the Saints doing that in the first round yeah I, I still can't see it in the first round I, I understand why Mac Jones is appealing I really do I mean I think that he offers you something familiar if you're you know covering the New Orleans Saints because he offers you a guy that is accurate a guy that is uh the part yeah, I mean, he he gives you something that you're comfortable seeing because you watched Drew Brees do it for the last, I'll say, probably five or six years. Um, he and and even before that, I mean, you could even go back to maybe like a 2016 Drew, who 2014 Drew, who's still throwing the ball down the field. I mean, you could still get that out of Mac Jones, but there's just not what Drew Brees had coming into the NFL that was elite was his accuracy, his ball placement, things like that. Like that's always been something about him that everybody has known. Mac Jones doesn't have that elite trait that you can point to and say, that's the thing that makes him a first rounder. And that's usually what you're looking for. He is, however, great at a lot of different things. It's more of a master of none approach. And I do think that there's value in that. I personally think he gets taken in the first round. I and But I agree that he might not be a quarterback that has a first round grade. But of mm-hmm. course, all those selections in the matters. first round, that doesn't necessarily matter. And so, you know, I, there was somebody on... I can't remember what show it was, but talking about how, you know, Mac Jones's floor floor is eight with the Carolina Panthers and being the fifth quarterback off the board. But that's only because people are drawing conclusions to the idea that he worked with Matt Rule during the senior bowl. That's it. And so let's say that that were to happen, then obviously the New Orleans Saints not at all in on Mac Jones. But I could see Mac Jones still going in the first round to a team that needs a quarterback later on in the first, like a New England Patriots, depend like the New England Patriots, depending on what they need. Um, and and I wouldn't entirely rule him out, assuming that this like if the Saints don't for whatever reason retain Jameis Winston. That's where I would say, okay, this yeah. is a real possibility. But if they retain Jameis Winston, I could see them maybe going Jamie Newman, Felipe Frank, somebody a little bit more in the Felipe mold Franks. of somebody that's more in the mold of what Jameis Winston does with his arm. That's the only thing that I'm looking at because Felipe Franks needs a lot of work. A but lot of he's work. also but he's also transitioning from college to the NFL, where that work is more easily done than it's done with somebody that's already been in the NFL for six, seven years. So you can expend, you know, you can spend a fourth round pick on development, but I don't think you spend a first round pick on development unless you absolutely need it. And that would be the situation for Mac Jones. Yeah. That that would be the worst case scenario if this answer in that position. Um if Marcus Williams <clears throat> and we know the going rate for the top Safeties, it it's, starts at fourteen point seven million with Buda Baker, mm-hmm. and ends in the top ten with Marcus Joyner out of, for the Raiders at ten and a half million. Mm-hmm. Where does Marcus Williams slot in on the for the Saints? In I, I think salary wise, you know they're not as the Saints. We've talked about this plenty of times before. The Saints will give a low first year salary, spread that bonus mm-hmm. out and have an inc- a staggered salary increase over the, the the length of the contract. Right. But do you see him? I, I think he will push for that 15 million to get past Buda Baker. I think he absolutely will ask for it. Do the saints give him that? 
I don't think so. Um, I think he should push for it. I, I think I think so. But I don't think that based upon like Buda Baker's style of safety, who can play deep, who can play in the box, who can play up against the line of scrimmage, he's a three-level threat and a three-level usage safety on the defensive side. I think that's one of the reasons why he ends up he ended up getting paid. I think people are starting to finally wise up to like, oh, these multifunctional safeties do deserve to be paid more than these single role safeties. And not that Marcus Williams is single role, but he's certainly somebody that plays deep, can play in split coverage, can play in middle of the field coverage, and then can play in the robber roles in the middle of the field. I don't think you put him up against the line of scrimmage or anything like that. And and we've certainly seen the Saints avoid doing that and be it's specifically it's somebody else's role right that's Chauncey Gardner Johnson's role that's Malcolm Jenkins role that's not Marcus Williams role so I think that when you look at where Marcus Williams slots in I see him maybe around the 13 to 14 million dollar range not above the 14 and a half I think he's a little bit more Eddie Jackson than he is Buda Baker if that makes sense in terms of where he slots into that 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 group yeah I think that does make sense because as you said it's there's still just some things on his resume and in his his skill set that just keep him a shade below. I mean, he's a top five, top six safety in this league. There's no yes. question about that. But yeah. like you said, that that in, we see that the, the safeties that are a little bit more physical are the ones right. who get the, the top range of the salaries. Um, but I think the Saints will, like you said, absolutely want to take care of him. But uh, yeah, his value from Spotrack has him at uh, 13 and a half million. So that's right. that's. I mean, that's that's a good number. I think that's a, yeah. a good number if that's where the Saints can get him. But it's going to come down to the guarantee. It's it, it's the guarantees. It's the bonuses. It, it's those things, right? Like APY is not what you get paid. <laughs> that's just the average. That's just a pretty number that sits out that makes it easy to talk about contracts. But you have to look at the more granular information, right? He can get paid $13.5 million per year on average with the New Orleans Saints and $15 million per year with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Jacksonville may only guarantee 45% of his contract while New Orleans might be willing to guarantee 56% of his contract, which is more of the higher end towards like the Eddie Jackson uh, Tyron Matthew guarantees. And so that might, that equal, that might equal more money for him in terms of the guaranteed aspect of it, as opposed to the, what's the potential earnings aspect of it. And I think oftentimes you see NFL players, particularly with what we're learning about how the NFL takes, how they take care and don't take care of players after their career, guaranteed money is becoming even more important right now as this information is becoming more available. Before we close, I wanted to ask you about Urban Meyer. Oh, boy. And so Jacksonville brings Urban Meyer, who yes. laid waste to the Florida program, uh, mm-hmm. left Ohio State on the verge of trouble, mm-hmm. um, comes to Jacksonville, and first off says the players going to have to trust me, and then hires – a strength and conditioning coach who got fired for being a bigot and hires an assistant coach who was arrested for pulling up to a drive through naked and drunk. I don't understand how teams, and we got coaches out here like Raheem Morris, right. Who just shut down, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, and you, I mean, Todd Bowles, who just shut down the, the, right. the, the Kansas city chiefs office. Mm-hmm. Eric B. Enemies out there can't get a job. Mm-hmm. All these coaches out there, Leslie Frazier, Jim yep. Caldwell, they ain't even getting interviews. Yep. Lovey Smith's out of the league. Lovey Smith. 
and he's got a Super Bowl appearance. Mm-hmm. And Urban Meyer comes in and he does this in a league full of black players, does this stuff in front of them. And then all of a sudden, well, you know, oh, he's got to go. We talked it over and I vetted him, but it, it just doesn't work. No, dude, it, it, it's the NFL just continues to show how tone deaf they are in hiring yep. and in allowing coaches to communicate this way, basically, and still try to reaffirm that that position of of management and labor like it yeah. just maintain that thing that that thing that exists primarily in college but mm-hmm. they keep try to keep it going in, in the nfl and, and urban meyer i think is going to be in for a very big culture shock big time big time yeah and i i think that i think one of the reasons why you continuously see this is because of obviously lack of accountability right the only person that ever often sees any level of accountability are either uh, the person that was hired that everybody is like, why the hell did you hire this person? Then they tend to get moved on from for probably some for some other public, like more publicly digestible reason than like they can pulled up naked at a fucking at a at a drive through. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, we know why you shouldn't have a job. You know what I mean? But publicly, you're probably not going to say that, right? You're probably going to say, oh, well, we creative differences or whatever. Let's get the hell out of here. So that's the person that oftentimes gets the, you know, that gets the, the I don't want to call it the short end of the stick, but what they deserve. Meanwhile, the other part of the accountability always comes back down to the players. The players suffer because of these horrific hiring practices and everything. And I call them horrific because they are, they're absolutely horrific to where you, you have created, this is going to be, this might take some people by surprise, but you've created a slave trade amongst these coaches in the NFL. It's where you're literally saying, thank you for growing them. Here's three for, you know, here's two third round picks. You know what I mean? And you're creating something that feels very, reminiscent of 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 that type of a structure and and we're subject to structures that were created during you know the the during slavery during all these things like we're subject to these structures all the time because parliamentary practices all these other things are how we conduct ourselves right that that led to the reasons about why how we conduct ourselves conduct ourselves these days so you look at these hiring practices, the lack of accountability, the issues that the players have to speak up about and often are held subject to, there's no accountability for the coach that continues to, you know, make ill-advised choices for his staff. The the owner that continues to make ill-advised uh, decisions for it, it, the the executive positions, all these other parts. And so until there's actual accountability as opposed to you know, right now they're trying to do this whole like positive reinforcement thing right. without creating the opposite reaction, which is what do you do if somebody hasn't hired a black coach or let's just say a non-white, non-male executive coach or staff member in the past six seasons? Because some of those organizations exist. Some of those organizations, in fact, several of those organizations exist. You know what I mean? And so where are the, where's the consequence? Where's the accountability? Where's the expectation as opposed to just making it someone else's burden, making it the burden of the black coaches to be developed in order to, to, to still not get opportunity. And the rules don't work that way. Right. Urban Meyer wasn't developed. Right. He's He's not an NFL coach. Mm-mm. So you took him out of, and he's been out of the game for a couple of years now. So right. <clears throat> what's his story? 
And then you see it all the time. You see these other, like, like going to Arizona and seeing how they hire, um, <clears throat> excuse me, now I'm forgetting, um, um, Arizona said coach. Uh, oh, Cliff Kingsbury? Cliff Kingsbury, who yeah, yeah. is the only coach at Texas Tech in the last 20 years to leave with a losing record. Right. And yet he goes straight from that to a head coaching job and gets Kyler Murray as a reward. The same thing for these for for Rue. The same things for it's coaches who you keep saying that experience matters, coordinators matter. We see special teams coaches getting hired. We see as head coaches, we see people who've never been a coordinator, never called to play in their lives, and they're getting head coaching jobs. Yeah. But the rules are always different for the black coaches. And then I think, like you said, for the black players, it is more and more uncomfortable for uncomfortable for me as I get older when we talk about owning these players and moving mm. them like baseball cards, right. because these are human beings with lives who the contract is supposed to be the contract. And I have people tell me all the time, well, the contract is with the league. It's not with the team. No, I signed with this team because this is where I wanted to be. Right. And your ability to move me and send me anywhere you want to, whether it's about me or as a package with somebody else mm -hmm. is something that we would never accept in any other walk of life we don't have other jobs of that you can't trade me from the grocery store that i'm bagging at to a walmart and have me doing boxes you know what i'm saying you right. can't i cannot that can't happen two right. chains can't do that and, and it's just I, I it's more bothersome to me that that contract isn't honored that the players are the only ones where their contracts cannot be honored in that way that they can be moved they can be cut all those things and it goes all the way down to college where the same things are happening that dynamic threatens i think a lot of in a lot of ways our social structure because people mm -hmm. will fight you tooth and nail anytime you talk about this isn't right and and i, I bring up kurt flood all the time yeah that i'm a man and he said i have the right to work and i want to work in this place i have a family this is what this is about and he lost his career over it right and we're still talking about these things 40 uh, 50 years later yeah yeah it's 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 wild. I mean, look, NFL hiring practices continue to be continue to be absolute crap. And and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon because we're we're continuously not we, but they are continuously putting band-aids on the situation and trying to make it somebody else's problem, right? The ownership doesn't want it to be their problem, so they're going to make it to where these teams, these you know front offices, to get rewarded for developing minority candidates. That way, it's not coming down to whether or not the coach. I'm sorry, the uh, the organizations are doing the hiring. It's coming down to the people who have the boots on the ground in the front office to develop those players. And then if excuse me, those coaches. And so if a black coach doesn't come from that, then it's not the owner's fault for not hiring them. It's the black coach's fault for not developing. It's the team for not developing that black coach over the course of several years. How long did it take Terry Fontenot to become a general manager? He was with the New Orleans Saints since, what, 2008? Something like that? Like in the it early 2000s? It didn't take that long. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Right? Nick Sirianni, like, getting the getting the head coaching position in Philly. Like, he, he didn't have to, you know, work with a... Yeah, I don't, like, I don't, I don't want to diminish his stuff, but, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, yeah, John Harbaugh. In, 
was the special teams coach for the Eagles, and nobody was talking about how great. Yeah, I mean, again, right? Joe Judge goes, in New York, right? Yeah. Like it's the same thing. And so now you're you're looking at the you're you've you're what you're doing is that you're creating another scenario that we see across sports all the time for black athletes, and and now it's being created for black coaches and black executives that you have to be the absolute best possible coach or GM or executive or whatever in order to do the bare minimum job that's available to you. We see this all the time in sports. Serena couldn't be Serena without being Serena. Tiger couldn't And be even Tiger. now she still does not. I mean, you know, those conversations still go on. And oh, you 100%. watch how commentators talk about her. They do that not give her the same respect that they give <laughs> that they would have given a Steffi Graf or a Martina Navratilova right. or Chris Everett, who does it herself. Who does it her? Broadcast. Yeah, does it now? Chris she Everett is got beat. shiesty as hell. Yeah, sitting on those broadcasts, and it's like it's that thing of yeah, we have to be the best to be to just be allowed in the door just when mediocrity yeah. when mediocrity is is what most people are. Right. Right. And so now we're generating there. The NFL has created structures that support that as opposed to structures that combat that. You know what I mean? In terms of like, let's examine your your hiring practices over the past five seasons and then dictate action from there. What haven't you done? Great. Now you have to do it right. Some accountability, some 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 consequence to the actions would be more effective, particularly for these billionaire owners that don't, don't understand consequences that don't understand accountability, right, that have no room for it, uh, creating that, I think, is a more effective pathway than trying to make it somebody else's problem. Yep. And and that's going to be the thing that continues to define a number of discussions about the NFL. And I still, you know, like, it, it's not just on the coaches, but I'd like to see Demora Smith, who I think has just mm -hmm. been a disappointment um, as the union head for the NFL Players yeah. Association. He has, again, where has he been on this? Where has he right. been? I've not heard him this right. summer. I've not heard him during the season. I've not heard him. Now we're in 2021. You're, I still don't hear him talking about any of these issues um, on behalf of the players. And it's not just the white players who are I mean, black players who suffer. It's the white players too. Yeah. They are missing out on, on talent. And it, 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 do you want to win or not? Or do you want to have somebody you can have a beer with? And that's the, that's the bullshit part of this is that, it ain't right. about your friends. Give people an opportunity because they're good. And, and that's what, it. What else do you have? Right. Right. That's the thing. And and look, I, I'm hoping I, I contend. And I was talking to Reggie Flood about this not too long ago, too. And he and I were talking about the fact that, like, it, it's what's going to change. What's going to change first? Is it going to be the executive structure, what the executive room looks like? for these NFL teams or the coaching staff. And I still contend that it's going to be the executive room that changes first because oh. we're going to be, you know what I mean? Because it it's going to take exactly. It's going to take that in order for the coaching staffs to begin to to diversify. I mean, look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have a great, you know, a lot of diversity on their coaching staff. Antoine Randall, of course, now in 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 uh, Detroit with Dan Campbell. You can look at Detroit's coaching staff too, but you have to look at the executives in those rooms as well. And in particular in Tampa Bay's, there's a little bit more presence 
for folks there, a little bit more representation in the executive positions. And, you know, you see that you you've seen that seen that uh, over time with the New Orleans Saints as well with the with Terry Fontenot. But now Terry Fontenot is gone. Aaron Glenn is gone. And then everybody that's coming through the door right now don't look like Terry Fontenot and don't look like Aaron Glenn. You know what I mean? Except for Chris Richard. Chris Richard did come come through to take over Aaron Glenn. But it, it it's it's just interesting to sort of see the balance from year to year about how to maintain the consistency of this. And don't give me the, well, the talent's not there. We don't know these, you know, that happens in, in, in other careers that I work in as well, to where they tell you, well, we don't know any. You didn't look. stop that. You, you didn't, didn't look, look and you didn't want to look. <laughs> right. That's the whole thing. It's not just that you didn't look, it's that you had no desire to look, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember my father was part of, um, he worked for Marsh, which at the time mm-hmm. was the largest insurance provider in the, in the, in the world, I think. And um, he would tell me all the time that he'd have these conversations with executives and they'd say, we don't get enough, we don't get, you know, many applications from, from black people. He's like, do you do any recruitment on black campuses? Do you, <laughs> you know, like, do you go to where the people are or are you right. just mining the same fields that you've always mined? Cause you're just going to find what you've been looking for that entire time. And so I think that that's a big part of it is that, you know, the, as long as the desire isn't there, you can yeah. you can you can say it you can incentivize it all you want but until the desire to do something about it is there and 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 I hate too cuz you know you get this one too why can't they just hire the most qualified applicant <laughs> tell me what resume you're going to look at tell me right. in the NFL and you're smart enough to discern which person is the better candidate i want to know right. the fan out there right now who could just take a resume or a piece of paper from these coaches and tell me which one is the most qualified just from looking right. at it. Right. Without understanding and, and a lot of those same fans like don't have any understanding of what's the fit, what's the scheme, what are all these things, what's the team building, what's the philosophy, what's all this stuff that's behind in terms of the decision making process. Like there's so many of these factors that go in that and the other part of it, too, is that you might have missed like these NFL franchises oftentimes might have missed the best candidate because of their because of their inherent bias in terms of their hiring practices. You know what I mean? One of the things I'm looking forward to seeing with the New Orleans Saints is what they do with uh, Ronald Curry and, and, and Coach CJ. Uh, does Ronald Curry move into the, uh, the quarterback coach uh, position? Does And then does, CJ, does Coach CJ go back to working with wide receivers based on that? Or, or, or what's the shuffle going to be and everything? Because I think that one of the things that they have shown is they have no problem elevating people. And then moving people in. And I think we need to see that across the rest of the NFL too. But again, it still comes down to the development of that coach by the NFL franchises and their willingness to do so, which we're watching a franchise is a little bit more willing to do it. But it still puts the onus on that coach, still puts the onus on the team, on the structure, on the scheme, on the all these other things, as opposed to putting the onus on the the practices, whether it's the head hunting firms, whether it's the 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 um the search committees, whether it's the owners, whatever it is, not giving an equal amount of opportunity to all of the candidates that are there and instead going to the folks that I'm just going to say make them most comfortable, <laughs> you know, because I think that's what it is, right? It's familiarity. It's comfortable. It's comfort. It's it's the old boy mentality. It's all these other things that are all there and it's all very present that I think are still dominating hiring practices in the NFL, the coaching and executive position, as opposed to truly evaluating all of the talent that is available to you in your area that run similar schemes that do things similar to what you do in their own landscapes, all that these can other build things. Build a staff that, right. mean, and, 
And that's the thing is these coaches are prepared to build staffs. They have phone mm-hmm. numbers of networks of people that they really want to work with. They, right. you, if you think they haven't thought about these things right. and been preparing for this their entire time once they got into coaching, then you don't know any coaches because right. every coach I've ever met has sat down and talked about they have a game plan for what they're trying to do. Whether it's, Everybody has it. And, Everybody and has it. I think that the the teams in this league. <laughs> tell me, tell me one HBCU head coach, head football coach that doesn't have a damn network. Name one. <laughs> they know all the coaches. They know all the coaches. Like, and come they, on. They know the. They know. I mean, come on. They know. They know the agents. They know the players. Right. They know these things, and I think that that. And I think that that also sometimes gets to be a problem for black coaches because on every level you get to be seen as the communicator and not necessarily the leader. And Mm -hmm. that is, that's something too, is that these narratives have fit in and say, well, he gets along great with the players. And then they want this patriarchal coach who's the Bill Belichick mold of, I have no emotion. I, these are not my, you know, this is work and I grind every day, but there's many ways to crack that walnut right you know what i mean yes. there are black pete carroll's out there and there are black bill belichick's out there they're they're all there's a black jimmy johnson there's a black sean payton they're all there you just got to go look for them yeah absolutely we see it in the nba all the time too this happened with uh steven silas when he got hired by yep. the uh houston texans like oh well, he's too yeah. he's too nice oh uh, yeah the houston rockets he's too nice was the evaluation he's too nice He's not, he's not, you know, hard nose. He's not a hard nose coach. And it's like, okay, let's look over on the West Coast real quick at, you know, you can look at uh, Steve Kerr, who's also very nice and not a hard nose head coach. And what did, what did he do with, you know, a good roster and everything? What does like, it mean? See, that's the thing is, what does that's it the other mean? Part of it too. Yeah. Your personality, if I'm kind and normal at when I'm not coaching, that doesn't mean I'm not a competitor. Right. I'm not competing right. right now. What do you right. want from me? Right. Like some of us, some of us, some of us have access to a damn switch. Like we don't have to be that way right. all the time. You know what I mean? No. And it's like this idea that like there is a persona as opposed to a, you know, multi-dimensional person. Like I would much rather a multi-dimensional person head up a team that I was a part of or an ownership of. Like I would much rather somebody that can do everything, that can be a human being and be a coach. Right. And can delineate between the two because there are times when that's necessary, especially as 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 football players right now are gathering a greater understanding, a greater comfort, discussing their own, you know, their own mental health. They're discussing all these other things that are important to them as human beings, as opposed to just players, as the player mentality continues to evolve and change over time because of the influx of youth in the NFL, because of the influx and attention to these things amongst those particular communities of people. The coaching staff should be willing to do that, too. You don't get to just tell me all of a sudden as a player that what I believe or how I feel is irrelevant because you need me to be a football player. You can go to hell like that's not a mentality in the NFL anymore for these players. These players want to be football players. And that's what everybody wants to be able to do right now. And it's important because it's humanizing these players, which is a very, very important thing. It's putting them in a position to where they are taking their their, you know, um, their mental health seriously, their health seriously, they're making their family deci- lives healthy, all, the, yes. uh, all yeah. those things. Yeah. Yeah. They're making formed. decisions for themselves and for the people around them, as opposed to just making decisions for the NFL. And we oftentimes find people that will criticize players for doing that, saying that they're 
bailing on their team or that they're giving up and so be it like you can have that opinion it's wrong but you can have that opinion we need coaching staffs and coaches that are going to see things the same way that these players see them and so I don't know if maybe in time as the influx of those players move up into coaching positions because that's a pretty natural transition for people that want to stay in the game Mm -hmm. if that happens but as long as we keep hiring people out of booths you know what I mean? Like that's not gonna, that's the, and I'm talking about head coaches like Zach Streif coming back. He was in the booth for like a year, two years and every training camp, he was with the new Orleans Saints working with them during practices and everything. He's been and he's coaching. not giving, he's not being given decision-making authority. He's right. Right. Coming he's in his, and he's working on the staff and, and it's right. going, but we'll when you're bringing, yeah, right. But when you're bringing urban Meyer into a coaching position, when you're bringing John Gruden back to a 10 year coaching deal out of a booth and everything like that, like you're, you're disconnecting player and coach. Yep. And I, I think the the other part of that too, is we live in, in, and I think this is a good thing because I was told mm-hmm. the most powerful question when you're a kid is why, and yes. players are asking why, and they're not doing mm-hmm. it to be obstinate. What they're saying is I want to understand that, that the question is, no, I am not obedient. Mm-hmm. And that's what people have gotten this thing of, of, of athletes as being obedient to the coach. Well, what players are saying now is, why are we doing this? Because I want to know what the outcome will be. Right. I want to know what my responsibility is in particular. So I'm do- why am I doing this? Because I may have some input to give back to you. I'm not going, I'm not as good coming this way. Can I try this coach? Those right. types of things. And that why conversation bothers fans to me more than it does NFL coaches, college coaches. It bothers a lot. Yeah. NFL coaches. I think more and more of them are getting more comfortable with the why though. They don't still really don't want you to ask too often, Mm -hmm. but I think that there's that because these are adults and because the conversations have gotten harder at the NFL level, that players are feeling more comfortable in asking why. And you have coaches like a Sean Payton, who I think is comfortable in telling you why. Right. Um, so I think you need more of those on all sides is just that willingness to it, it can't be and in no workplace, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been a supervisor of people and you've been a supervisor of people. You in no workplace. Can it be my way or the highway? Mm-hmm. It, it just it just and, and I, I've used this phrase before, too. Do you want it? Do you want it or do you only want it your way? Right. Right. So, brother. Um, I think I had another, we had another great conversation. Yeah, I, 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 I love this. I love this. It's just every week. This is a highlight. And I'm so <laughs> glad we get to do it. Same, man. It's always a pleasure, bro. I appreciate you as always uh, for, for letting me jump on the mic with you, man, and, and share space with you. It's always a very important part of my week. So thank you. So, you know, you know, what we do now hit them up, tell them what you're yeah. doing. I won't forget my Twitter handle this time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola, N-O-L-A. Uh, you can catch me every day over on the Locked On Saints podcast and every Tuesday with Luke Braun over at Locked On NFL as well. Uh, you can catch all the write-ups over at CanalStreetChronicles.com and every Wednesday here on Hard to Paint with my good friend David Grubb for the Dome Patrol. That's right. And you know how to get at me at DM Grubb on Instagram and Twitter and the website HITPWithDG.com. Check it out and check out the shop too. Get you some swag. Um, that's folks we will talk to you again next week for the Dome Patrol but I'll be back again tomorrow with another edition of Hard to Paint y'all be good enough.